Welcome to the Film Comment Podcast. I'm Devika Girish, the co-deputy editor of Film Comment, and I'm calling in from the snowy, frigid slopes of Park City, Utah, where this year's Sundance Film Festival is currently unfolding. Throughout the festival, I will be rallying the best critics in town to debate and discuss each day's new premieres. So follow along on the Film Comment podcast and the Film Comment letter for roundtable discussions, interviews, dispatches, and more. Welcome to another day at the Sundance Film Festival and another episode of the Film Comment podcast. I really hope you guys aren't tired of hearing my voice all the way from Park City. I hope we've been bringing you delights and edifying insights. I think people will be very pleased with today's episode because we have here two critics who I consider the real deal. You know, they're putting in their hours here at Sundance. I'm going to have them introduce themselves. Jessica. Hi, I'm Jessica Kiang. I'm here writing for Variety and uh, enjoying the feeling of having my nose hairs freeze together. That sort of sticky Uh. feeling you get in your nose because it's very cold. (laughs) Every single podcast has started with people complaining about how fucking cold (laughs) it is. Yeah. Justin. It is cold, but I don't mind it. I'm Justin Chang, here with the LA Times, and I'm delighted to be back, cold and all, because it really has felt weird to be not here. I don't know, back for three years. Yeah. And if everyone's getting weird, like, this kind of, like, three-year blip, which is longer than most festival blips we've had, like, you know, so it's hitting me a little harder. I'm very suspicious of you now that you've said you don't mind the cold. I'm a little unsure of your (laughs) composition. Are you human? Well, because... You are literally from L.A. I am missing the the tropical paradise that is New York. Yes, yes. It's kind of funny. Mine, it works a little differently because I get... I prefer colder environments to hot, warm weather, and so... I have enough warmth in heat, and I actually really used to get excited. Sundance was like my my own my my one exposure of the year to like anything, any kind of precipitation. Okay. So. I also, I mean, I have to say, I quite like you know meeting people who normally I only meet at summery European festivals, yeah. and just getting to see their entire winter wardrobe. Oh. Absolutely. Getting to judge them on that level, of course. Oh my God, yeah. you're one of like you are the person I'm fearing on these streets. That's right. Yes. Well, um, I, as I was saying, you know, I know you guys are some of the people at festivals who really do a lot. Um, usually you're like watching movies, filing reviews like overnight, even now, like following your writing. You've written so much already in the first a few days. So I, I wanted to ask, like, like, how many reviews are you supposed to write out of here? Like ballpark? Uh, well, ballpark at the moment, I think I'm going to be doing like 13 to 15. <sighs> Which is actually, I mean, a marked reduction in the amount I used to be able to do oh and used God. to be willing to do. Um, I mean, I would but regularly be doing like 24 about two or something. a day or something. Yeah, I mean, I'm not going to end up filing them all. Probably. Right, right. I mean, I think that there will be a couple that will end up maybe running just after the festival ends. But yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm here for most of the festival. So so the, the intention is certainly to try and get everything done during that period. It's actually made dif- more difficult here in Sundance. This is only my 
second time coming to Sundance. Mm -hmm. So um, I'm not really used to the, the the scheduling approach. Yeah. And this very strange thing that they do where nothing is premiering after Tuesday. So so because certainly when, when you're writing for a trade, there's this idea that you have to try and get things more or less, you know, in on time for embargoes and things, certainly the bigger titles. And that then puts a lot of pressure on you and certainly on the, the top half of the festival. Yeah. So that's really mostly the pain in the ass. Um, uh, other than that, uh, 50 or 13 to 15 reviews feels like a feels like a luxuriantly small number. <laughs> I don't know how you do it. And Justin, how about you? What well, are you doing for the LA Times? I am writing nowhere near as much as Jessica and her other variety colleagues and our friends at Hollywood Reporter and Screen International. Um, and but it's funny because I remember the days of you know writing a variety also and doing 13 to 15 which actually does sound like really nice compared to oh that's sometimes. right you used to do that too I like did. for and variety you know yeah. it's been interesting like in some ways I don't miss it at all because god it's just it's just wonderful yeah. like, yesterday <laughs> I just planted my ass at the Eccles for all day and I just sat in the same seat pretty much I mean I, I went out you know bathroom breaks and such but <laughs> for, for back, back movies, no, he yes. did not use that as his <laughs> bathroom everybody just, like <laughs> Soil myself in the theater, just, you know, um, tempting, but you know, and 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 who would notice really? It's just like thousands of people in there. But the thing is, it's like so. I didn't. I'm not writing about everything I see. Um, I get to be very selective about you know um, not having to write about everything, just kind of soaking things up, and that's a great luxury of being at the Times. Um, but yeah, I do quick check your book. privilege, Jang. Seriously, I, I'm all about the privilege, and I, I do do like a, a couple critics' notebooks. And something that's going to be fun is, and I know we're not the only outlet in this boat, but, you know, this is one of those horrible, horrible Sundances where the Oscar nominations are going to be announced mid-festival. Oh, just hate those. yeah. I didn't you, even think of that, actually. Well, Tomorrow morning. Do you have yeah. to think about it? I, I hope you don't. I don't, you don't. actually. No. Unfortunately, <laughs> and, I, and I'm not, you know, there's, I, I have to write, like, one piece, and it's, it's going to be of fine. Of course, yeah. But, you know, the, the reporters who are here, I think some are actually flying back to L.A. to, you know, even maybe yeah. to, to, to be there for it. But it's just one of those things where you, it just feels so pointless. You lose a day at the festival or half a day or something at least writing about something we don't cover nearly enough in this world. Oh, yeah. The Academy <laughs> Awards. So they need a platform. They really do. Mm. They need the exposure. Um, but it's okay. But no, I'm um, enjoying myself. It's good to be back. Cool. And before we get into the films, I just want to do a little shout out for Justin's newly announced role mm. on the New York Film Festival Selection Committee. We we are just so thrilled uh, to have Justin join the team and we're going to make him a New Yorker. Well, my imposter syndrome <laughs> has never been so sky high. Ah. That's all I have to say. But it's a thrill and an honor to be, you know, to be brought in even more into the Lincoln Center family. And so yeah. just know and um, film at Lincoln Center. And so um, I'm very honored. No. Oh, excited. Congratulations. Excited. I have not spent, I've not been to New York since the pandemic, which is ridiculous. So now I'm, and I, now this year I have at least two, two, two trips scheduled and I'll be there yes. for the festival itself, of course. So, Well, really I look thrilled. forward to seeing you there. Yes. Um, but while we're still in the freezing hellscape that is Park City, let's talk about some of the stuff we watched here. So I thought we'd start off by talking about Eileen, which uh, I saw this morning and I saw that you've both have written about it. Uh, it was a film I was really curious about um, since it's co-written by uh, and co-written and I think produced also by Otessa Moshfeg and it's uh, William Oldroyd of Lady Macbeth fame's um, second feature. Um, and so it was definitely one of the more anticipated titles for me. I got the sense from your uh, pieces that you both liked it. Uh, Justin said he let it. Justin, you say it. 
Oh God. <laughs> you want my t- I, I need you to <laughs> say it I, out loud. Eileen favorably toward Eileen. <laughs> Thank you. You really want me on here, don't I, you? I really this is, <laughs> this, is this is why I want you, <laughs> you <laughs> to spell out just, your puns. I am just dragging this whole thing down. I'm so sorry. But um Justin, why don't you start us off? Like tell sure. us a little about Eileen, what the film yeah. is about and what you thought of it. Yeah, Eileen is, as you said, Devika adapted from Otessa Moshfeg's uh, 2015 novel, I think, mm-hmm. set in 1964, uh, Wintry, Massachusetts, uh, suburb, uh, small town. Um, and Thomas and Mackenzie plays Eileen, this young woman who, you know, leads this very, very drab existence, but has, like a few f- characters we've seen at this festival, a very active fantasy life where she, we see her, you know, you know, you know, imagining herself uh, just, you know, she's very sexually frustrated and, you know, her, she lives with this drunken loud of a ex-cop father who verbally abuses her and sees, sees her as basically worthless. And so she's living a very unfulfilled life. And then into her life steps this vision of a woman played by Anne Hathaway, um, who is the new uh, psychologist at the boys' prison where, uh, Thomas, where Eileen works, just in case her life wasn't depressing enough. I forgot to mention that detail. And the movie, I will just say, it's um, this uh, this movie comes, you know, there are definite Patricia Highsmithian vibes mm. to the film all throughout, which I didn't pick up on entirely until it's very, you know, suddenly you're just, you're very forcefully reminded of Carol. Of course, Todd Haynes' exactly. film, Carol, and just yeah. the dynamics, even just the way that Anne Hathaway's character, Rebecca, draws, you know, just sort of just zeroes in and just is so immediately um, welcoming, kind of this, ta- let me take you under my wing, and they takes her out drinking and, and dancing. And, and her blonde and bob. Her blonde bob, which <laughs> just absolutely looks fabulous. Anne Hathaway, really, really terrific performance, just emanating um, just sophistication and worldliness from every pore. And but it's she, a really brittle kind as well. Very brittle, yeah. and and very and you you distrust it immediately. You know yeah. that there's something. Of yeah. course, that's just the nature of this. And, and this yeah. is what I think was well. Also, just what I'm just going to say with the with the Carol comparisons, it's a really curdled version of Carol from the very beginning. Like that, it's where Carol is so warm and lustrous and velvety to the touch. This is always shabby. Everything is shabby yes. and tawdry around the edges. And there's something. I mean, Carol is about love. And this is about fixation and a very unhealthy fixation as well. So there's, so so I think you know uh, a lot of times, uh, like even reading the tweets, the Carol comparisons didn't necess- aren't necessarily setting people up for what they're going to get because it is not very a love story. So. It is very much <laughs> yeah. Not a love it's story. really like Carol in some sort of weird, uh, um, you know, mirror. Or yeah, something, in the like upside down, in the sunken place. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean. I was, you know, even as you were describing it just now, Justin, just the plot of the movie, the elements sound so familiar, right? Like a sexually repressed young woman in suburban America in the 60s, has an abusive drunken father, meets an alluring older woman. But each of those elements is so surprising and um, kind of breaks convention and cliche. Mm. That's what really Mm. took me by surprise. I mean... Even that dynamic that she has with her father, he is verbally abusive. He's a piece of shit, as Mm. he's described in the movie. There's like a strange tenderness to him and their dynamic too. 
which actually nails. I think it's understanding. Like he, I mean, he, I think he's horrible to her, but in a weird way, he does understand her. And she is, let's face it, quite a horrible human being. Exactly. So, so there is a kind of a, there's a, there's a, a, there are moments of like deep understanding between them, which I also find, I mean, there's a lot of black humor going on here in this film as well. And I find one of the amusing things about it is like, even those moments where they seem to be approaching some sort of rapprochement always end with him with some casually offhand cruel cutting comment, her cutting her back down again. Yeah. Um, like even the, the um, yeah, you look different these days. Almost interesting. <laughs> um, yeah. Oh, and like, how do I look? Well, your mom looked great, great in, in that. that coat, yeah. You know, but, but yeah. that's, that's the thing. Like, we don't know whether sh- what she is like until quite the end of the movie and even then it's uncertain. So there is this suspicion sometimes that her father maybe sees her for who she is. But also I think it nails the the dynamic of abuse, which is a theme in this movie, which is that it's often very much entwined with a kind of tenderness that's what makes it so toxic, you know. And I thought that those were the little nuances um, yes, that yeah. it, it really nailed and kind of it has that home, this homoeroticism, but it doesn't overplay it. So you don't know if the main character, if she is actually you know, queer or if she's just so repressed that any sign of interest and any Mm. opportunity for eroticism is incredibly stimulating for her. It it was just these little uncertainties. Yeah, I also think it's, sorry, go ahead. Um, I I mean, I also think it's just, it's incredibly filmic and film literate in a way that I found really exciting and really, uh, really unusual, I think. Um, Because uh, for me, it's almost an offhand comment that her father played by Shea Wiggum makes to her that is kind of the thing that unlocks the film for me and he talks about how there are two people in the world just like in the movies there are the people who are the ones who are who are like move um, and the ones we watch and then there are the people who are just there to fill up space and of course he ends that with telling Eileen that she is just one of the people who fills up space and to me that's like he's talking about the way we lay things out in movies but it's also this sense I get the sense that as the film progresses it is actually Eileen suddenly coming out from behind the spotlight she's literally behind the spotlight during one scene um, coming out from behind the spotlight and putting herself into the starring role of her own film and if you interpret it in that way especially with in, in terms of her relationship with the Rebecca character, with Anne Hathaway's character. Anne Hathaway's character to me is somebody who is absolutely, completely 100% confident that she is the star of her own movie. Yeah. I mean, some, she's oh, even Someone called even Rebecca. asks her, like, have I seen you in a movie? Yes, yeah, exactly. <laughs> she, and, and, and she knows, she, so she knows that she's, she's the active role in this. And it is, it's in a way, it is, it's uh, Eileen's assumption of that assumption of of power and agency over her own life and taking the starring role in her own film which I think is um weirdly satisfying to watch even though the sort of journey of personal liberation that she goes on the the person that is liberated is a monster yeah um so yeah and the title even I mean obviously the movie is titled Eileen but it's like and I just and not to make too much of the Carol comparison but you know I was just thinking like Carol the title character is Carol yes. the the equivalent of the Anne yeah. Hathaway character but Eileen is the it's the Thomas and Mackenzie character. And then, and then, and then and we have all the Hitchcock stuff. I mean, because Rebecca the, is the title of a Hitchcock this film. This is very true, and Rebecca. The, and the, ty- the beautiful titles of this film, the yeah. actual opening credits, are an almost direct pastiche of the re- rear window credits. I, I recognize and them Rebecca immediately. Rebecca is Anne Hathaway's oh, character's name. Yes, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Right. I was just saying Which it, so. I, and I am like the biggest Rebecca fan. I didn't even, that just, I didn't even pick up on yeah. that. Another thing I didn't pick up on, there are a lot of things. I, I really enjoyed the movie, but I, it's like I... 
I had forgotten who directed this, and yeah. I was like, all, and I was talking to Jessica because Jessica and I actually sat through this together, and I I turned to her at the end, I was like, oh my god, William Oldroyd, Lady Macbeth, okay, snaps into place, but it was just all through the movie. I was just kind of thinking, wow, this is just so well composed, really well judged, just kind of this this sort of command of everything we were seeing, and so it was kind of this little. It's it's one of those funny exercises when you if you were if you you know, are able to see a movie like knowing it's by some auteur, but you forget, but you don't, but they don't identify them. Yeah, which is what you want. You yeah. kind of do want that. And yeah, kind yeah, of tell, yeah. it's, it's a fun film exercise to train yourself. Like how well do you know your yeah. directors? And it's like, and I was actually kicking myself that I did not right. put the two, uh, two and two together yeah. sooner. But um, I haven't read the book Eileen, but I have read My Year of Rest and Relaxation, just, you know, the famous Odessa Moshvig novel. I'm not a big fan of it. It's interesting. It's it's not for me. But that book is very, I mean, I would think of it as like kind of unadaptable. Um, and I haven't read Eileen yet, but I was sort of wondering if this film would feel novelistic. You know, some films feel that way. And it actually feels properly cinematic. Mm, I mean, completely. it feels so... The, the and this visual... is amazing considering that sh it was the author herself who was the co-writer exactly. of the screenplay. And oftentimes when that happens, they become over-reliant on the literary sort of provenance of the uh, right. film. But this absolutely lives in a film and not just lives as a film, it, it lives as a whole host of different films. Exactly. It plays with genre like it has, like it knows every single thing about every single classical Hollywood genre that has ever, ever absolutely. been, you know. And you know, there's developed. this repeating motif, I won't spoil it, but it's kind of this repeating red herring that sets up a late twist in the film film which is a feat of editing and which is a feat of um you know visual storytelling and I'm very curious I, I now want to read the novel just mm. to kind of see what kind of translation took place but I'm very curious if that how that if that is a part of the novel and if so how but you know these little details were what um you know I was just very surprised by I think surprise is exactly the, the word yeah. and I mean we all see a lot of films. This is our job now. So so actually to have the experience of sitting in a cinema and watching something that goes somewhere that I genuinely did not expect. The major twist, which we won't talk about, but I mean, I we should just be, out I mean, loud. honestly, I and, and we should, we, we do have to mention the really great Marin Ar uh, Ireland monologue that she has in the middle of it, um, which is actually in almost an entirely different register. I'm not sure we're supposed to believe this is happening, um, but it's, I mean, I, I think within the context of the film, we are supposed to, but there's, it's so, it's just so surprising. Um, and yet then it itself like, becomes this like mini little, her monologue is one of the most disturbing things I have ever heard. Um, and even though, so it's not graphic at all, but like when you understand the sort of the, the ramifications of what she's saying and how she's working out um, what happened um, in this story that she's telling, it, it, I mean, it's, it's, really, it's really gross. I mean, it's right. really, really shocking. Um, and just to have that happen in the middle of a film, which otherwise is so, you know, is playful and is darkly comic and has um, all of these filmic re re resonances and is beautifully shot by Ari Wegner um, and amazingly well scored as well. The arcade fire frontman who was who did this wonderful yeah, jazzy brushed cymbal score. I actually score. wrote down and I I'm not very good at noticing like music and scores in film and in but in this I immediately wrote down mm. okay the score is excellent. Yeah. There's like this. It, it it 
really evokes that kind of precipice feeling of the film, yeah. of, you know, just being balanced between different tones, but it's also very magical and yeah, yeah and, like and jazzy. Using, using those yeah. those jazzy things as well allows them, I think, then like in the later periods of the in the latter periods of the film, to sort of almost all of the instruments seem to be playing different tunes. I mean, oh. it's, it becomes very discordant, and then it r weirdly resolves into something quite sweet and tuneful as well. So it's just it's a really variegated, really interesting score. Beautiful use of like sound. Some, a few soundtrack needle drops as well yeah. um, just on, on a craft level alone this film Very is incredibly hard. well put together and yet again then also sometimes just takes these narrative swerves that you lit you could not possibly see coming yeah. and I think that what you're saying yeah you think that you have seen everything and that you're we're beyond surprise at this point but I think they're just and it made me so glad I hadn't read the book in a way because I mean you have, it's always that thing you have to negotiate especially if you're writing about something you know do you how much how much do you read and you know and yeah. sometimes you do you read halfway whatever but I it was one it was just so beautifully handled it's like I've the hardest swerve I've ever seen it was so and not just surprising but creepy as all get out like it was just really disturbing where this movie goes and um yeah and shout the, out to thomas and mckenzie uh, what oh, a performance yes. it's so funny too because i've sort of you know I, I really loved her in um in the the deborah granick film where she leave really no broke trace. out leave no yeah. trace thank you um the title that left no trace on my memory clearly but um <laughs> but i love the film, oh my it's God. A great film. <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> justin has like a pun machine oh, constantly just that's like that's not a pun it's just okay but you know it is a mere wordplay. Okay, a wordplay machine just in the back of his head, constantly grinding its gears. <laughs> there is smoke coming out of his ears at the moment. <laughs> Go ahead. Film criticism is just my vehicle to to wordplay. It's 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 not the other way around. But but no, with um, it's funny because I sort of you know I mean. I mean, I hated everybody in jo Jojo Rabbit, right? I really didn't like her either. And it's just, there's sort of this, this oneness to her that I found a little, you know, I, as much as I liked her in her initial roles, I was sort of like, okay, how interesting is she? And and yet I think that between this and in like Last Night in Soho, not a movie I liked either, oh, but but really didn't like it. But I admired her, like there's this, it, it, I don't know, there's this this attraction to, to darkness. I don't know. It's, I mean, I think her, her little role in Power of the Dog was the one that actually did it for me. I think she's great. She's just like, yeah. that's where I understood as well that she would be very well cast in this kind of thing because there's an element of slyness to her there. Um, and I think there's, that, that's the other thing as well. We're we're conditioned to believe that quiet people are like, still waters run deep and we're also conditioned to believe that they run pure and, and good. And this, you know, the revelation of this film is that sometimes the very quiet person is the one that you should be the most afraid of because yes. what's happening in the in that silence um, yeah. is really depraved. Yeah. Well, um, Eileen's, I think, for me, and I think for all of us, a standout. Yes. Um, a film that Justin and I, I think, just got out of, um, you know, less than an hour ago, I wanted to talk a little about. Uh, another buzzy title, uh, it's You Hurt My Feelings. Mm -hmm. Which I will say when I didn't know that this was Nicole Holofsener's new movie and I just like saw it on the program. I was like, uh, some cheesy like <laughs> yeah. little, you know, rom-com or something. But that the title is so perfect now that I've seen the film. Um, but I'll just say a little bit about, you know, what the movie's about. Um, uh, Julia Louis-Dreyfus plays a novelist, a writer, um, and she's working on her second book. She's also a teacher at the new school. Uh, her husband is played by... I'm blanking on the actors. Tobias Menzies. Thank you. Her husband is played by Tobias Menzies. Uh, he's a shrink, and uh, not a very good shrink, which we learn in 
actually in the opening uh, scene of the movie. Um, well, there's some resonance actually with uh, with uh, Eileen because. I mean, I think we can ultimately take away that Anne Hathaway's character is not a very good shrink. She's not a good I mean, shrink. She's, oh she's, my God. She's going to be disbarred for what she does. Okay, we'll say in <laughs> Tobias Menzies' favor, he's not that bad. Don is his character's and he, name. And he gets better. He, he does, does improve. He actually does yes. get better. But his, his name is Don Miller. She's Beth Miller. Um, and, and the basic premise of the movie is that they have a wonderful marriage, you know, a very kind of, Sickeningly wonderful. Almost. Sickeningly, uh, truly, um, very long <laughs> yeah. marriage full of inside jokes and just affection. It's so it's such a good marriage that their son is like jealous of it. He's like, I, why am I always the third wheel? Um, but uh, you know, and she always makes uh, Beth always makes Don read all her drafts and give her feedback. And she's like finished like the twentieth draft of this new novel, and she's kind of nervous about it coming out. And then she overhears Don say to her brother-in-law that he doesn't actually think it's it's good. And he's been telling her this whole time, it's great, it's great, you're so good. And so that is the crux of the movie, uh, how that opens up all these questions about for an artist or for a writer, how our self-worth is tied up in our work and whether that's a good or a bad thing, how couples can be, is it possible to be supportive and yet honest all the time? You know, what what does it mean really once you get to a certain age in life to chase professional excellence or satisfaction or validation when there are all these other parts of your life that, you know, maybe are actually the real sources of joy. So it really gets into those areas with a very light comedic, I mean, it's full of comedy stalwarts uh, almost and uh, just great little performances all over the board. There are great. Uh, I really liked Michaela Watkins as her sister, who she's very close to also. And I, um, and I feel like even <clears throat> I feel like Michaela Watkins is sometimes, at least in this movie, it's not that she's shortchanged, but you almost want to spend more time with her character, who is um, she. I guess she uh, she designs like lighting fixtures of a very ornate nature. I don't know. I'm probably completely botching what her actual it, job is. Like I thought, interior decorator or, uh, I, or designer. I, I couldn't figure yeah, it out. It's but no, and it's like and the central four, and then her husband is an actor. So yeah. the four of them, you know, who very much come from this very recognizably Nicole Holof Center w- world, which is you know, <laughs> I think we can say somewhat insular, you know, white, upper middle class, you know, immense privilege that she acknowledges in the movie, and I think is acknowledged throughout her movies, but, and, and maybe, I don't know, I don't know if that acknowledgement was enough even for me, and it's, it's funny, I, I have this, I really like her movies, mm. and I've seen most of them here at Sundance, I mean, Sundance is, is where, you know, friends with money, and please give, and, you know, so many of them have, have played here, and, um, and it's funny, I wouldn't want her to make any other, in a weird way, I, would, I don't want her to make any other kind of movie. I think she has, there is this, you know, you look at her body of work and there are just, you see this progression, you see just, you know, the way that she goes from, you know, maybe a more serious effort to a more comedic one. And, and with You Hurt My Feelings, I was completely taken with the comedy, you know, part of the, the, I was just, there's this, it's really just firing on all cylinders early on. And then it becomes more, and then you realize, and then that, the, the, the the twist or the 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 premise really kicks yeah. in where it becomes this and the movie becomes this disquisition almost on how honest are we 
it's an interesting movie to think about as a critic too. It's like how how is is there such a thing as constructive criticism? Is that you know and obviously it's our job to be merciless and unsparing. On the the artist is not our friend. The movie is not our friend. You know, and we all you know are obviously I think very good at doing that. But it's funny. It's, it hit me as like as a parent. It's because as a, you know and like how honest are you with your children? I'm I'm going through yeah. this right now with my with my with my six year old in terms of how encouraging are you? How honest in terms of guiding their interests because that's a big part of the movie and. Um, and I do think that there is something really, really lovely, and I, I love what you, the way you said it, Devika. But it, this kind of offhanded profundity, which I think does characterize her best work. And yet, there were times when I was also, you know, the characters are irritating at times. I think by design, they're meant to be irritating, and that's partly a testament to their integrity and to their the fact that they are complicated. Um, but then there were times when I just like rolled my eyes the way it's just sort of like, oh, it's just so smothering. The kind of the, the, the you know, and there's, she does this thing where the, it reminds me of something she didn't please give to, which was very much about charity and altruism with um, Beth and Sarah, the sisters who are, you know, who routinely, you know, work giving clothes to the homeless and this, you know, it's, it's very admirable. They but, run like some kind of volunteer, like a Sunday shop for the homeless yes. or something. And yeah. they're collecting donations and they, it's it's kind of like you shop, shop for your clothes and, fit, you know, find, find something you like. It's really nice. But, and it's, I, I, I both like and dislike what she's doing with these scenes in a way, because in a way she's sort of like, well, just, she kind of just cuts through the crap and said like, oh yeah, some of these homeless people are horrible and they're just awful to deal with. And she doesn't like kind of, she certainly doesn't sentimentalize them or san- yeah. or sanctify them in a way. And yet sometimes I, I get a little uncomfortable with even just the way that they are used in the movie. Um, not necessarily as punchlines, but as sort of, they're there to, I don't know, they're there to support. I don't know. There's yeah. something that feels a little unexamined about I, it. I felt the exact same way. I mean, there are parts of this movie that that moved me so much. Um, and I think, yeah, that offhand profundity, that just casual tenderness that comes out sometimes. Um, I think that, you know, what you're saying was so on point, Justin, as a writer, as a critic. It's some, sometimes I, I wondered... Is the job of like a writing professor, because she's a professor in this and she's way too kind to her students, like completely stupid ideas, you know. But when I was in college, I I often felt like the best thing a professor could do is just keep reassuring me that I can write. You know, I mean, that's that's like because a writer needs so much. Most writers, most, most good writers, I think, are very hard on themselves and they just need the faith. But no, everything I've ever written is incredible. So, no argument here, honestly. You probably oh, went to Julia's class. It sounds like you went to you attended her class. It's so funny you mentioned that, Debbie, because here's the thing I'll tell you, and just yeah. not to get too off track personally off track, um, but um I teach a film criticism class yeah. right now. And um at my alma mater, did you know that? Uh, at US, Annenberg. You were I was in Annenberg too. <gasps> I didn't know that. We were Oh my god. Oh my god that's so funny. <laughs> Fight on. Okay. okay. And no, and this is you know it's, a, it's only like my third semester teaching, but uh-huh. it's it's a it's a struggle. I'm I am like sometimes mean to films and really nice to students because it's hard to criticize people's. It's hard to criticize other writers' work. I find it really hard. And one of my students, in fact, uh, you know, very, what, a really really nice student wrote on in his feedback last year is like, Justin's great, but he just needs to say when work sucks. He just needs to oh say. Oh my it. god! And I was just like, <laughs> and he was absolutely right. And I felt yeah. like chastened. And it's like, yeah, it's like this is or even just like. This piece was clearly written at like 3 a.m. and the grammar sport, just like, you know, point things out. Right, and it's right. like, and I'm, I always would accentuate the positive. And I think like, why am I doing that? And is that actually a good thing? And am I actually helping them? But I think your point is right, too, because you want to be supportive. And you I don't want think to there's an out, easy answer. I know. mean, the, the thing is, it also is like responding to an individual's 
own relationship with writing, which differs uh, from person to person. But, you know, another thing that the movie cut close to home was um, one time I wrote this cover story that I, like, stayed up all night to write about. I was drove myself crazy. And I, my partner reads everything I write, and it's sort of like his second job, which I'm very grateful to him for doing. And I said, I was really nervous about it. I said, "What did you, did you read it? What did you think? He's like, it's one of the best things you've ever written. And then a couple hours later, he was like, I'm sorry, I didn't read it. Oh <laughs> I was too tired. Oh I did read it, but I knew it was good. I was like, you said it was one of the best things I'd ever written. And I, I actually like had a crisis of faith. I was like, I don't know if I can ever trust anything you've ever said yes. about. Do you ever even read things I sent you? He was like, I promise it was this one time. And you know, th that and then when, when they have this conversation about it later in the movie yeah. and he says... I don't love you because you're good at your job and you are not your book. And those are very simple things, but I think writers need to be reminded of that sometimes. And these things cut very close to me. But, you know, I was thinking of, it reminded me of this movie Private Life by Tamara Jenkins, which is about something very different, but it's that it occupies that same world of middle class, middle age, like white middle class, middle aged people who are, um, or upper middle class. I mean, if this movie seems like it's upper middle class. Yeah, uh, but And that movie has that same kind of humor and it's about, you know, these relationships that can be really tough but ultimately are very solid. But that movie's pretty honest about class. Even, even yeah. though its characters are like middle class, it's yeah. honest about the way that money informs their decisions and their relationship. And I thought that was really missing here. Like, yes. she, she's written yeah. two books. I mean... How do they live in such a nice house? He does. He's not a very good shrink, and I think there's that, that line he says where so like you're you're really expensive. So I guess it's a very pricey, not very good. Shrink, yeah, but, but also um, I think writers' relationship to their mm -hmm. writing is often actually mediated by by their class status, right? Like how precious can you be, can you be with your writing depends on like are you writing to make ends meet? Exactly. I mean, there are these little things that I think. Or an artist, I mean, how much do you make by designing light fixtures? Actually, probably a lot. But, you know, like her, the sister's husband is like, I'm going to quit acting. What are the class implications of, of all of these things? And how are those questions not affecting these relationships? So it, that, that was a kind of false note to me. And I think that there are certain things that feel that a little... feel like kind of like half acknowledged, but still a little too complacent for my life. And it's, and it's interesting because I do think... It's just, I'll wrap this up too with, with Nicole yeah. Holfson. I, I think it's interesting. There has been this progression for her where her movies, maybe they feel a little more crowd-pleasing now. And I don't, I'm not saying that as a judgment because I, you know, and I think, and Jessica, you and I were talking about this earlier and you were saying this about very, 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 very on the money about Julie Louis-Dreyfus and this kind of affect that she just brings just by her presence and her association with 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 situation comedy and everything. It just, it, it adds a different tonality to... Nicole Holosoner's work. I just remember like seeing films like Lovely and Amazing and we're even walking and talking. And there was this this real, there was this unforgiving quality to them, the really unsparing, like almost like rip the band-aid off. Here I feel like she's become maybe a gentler artist, mm. which doesn't mean she's less perceptive. Um, I don't I, I like her early stuff. I like this one even despite its flaws. But yeah. yeah. But I'm still wrestling a little bit with it. You're listening to the Film Comment Podcast. Sign up today for the Film Comment Letter. It's a free weekly digital newsletter featuring original film criticism and writing by Film Comment's editors and brilliant contributors. 
The letter delivers exclusive features, reviews, interviews, streaming picks, news, and more directly to subscribers' inboxes every Thursday before they're published on filmcomment.com the following Monday. Sign up today at filmcomment.com. Well, let's move on to a title that probably will have me saying to Jessica, you hurt my feelings. <laughs> I'm talking about past lives and I'm bringing it up because in the previous episode, as listeners who have heard it will know that I'm not a fan of the movie, but I know Jessica loves it. And really loyal listeners will know that Jessica and I have often disagreed on movies. Um, and so I, even though we have talked about it um, on the previous podcast, the reactions were all more negative. And I, I want to counterpoint here because it seems like both of you like it. And so make your case. Okay. Yeah. Um, it would be really great if you'd stop making that like cutthroat uh, gesture um, <laughs> at, at me. Um Yes, I absolutely loved Past Lives. Um, I, I went. I will go so far as to call it a pretty much perfect film. It's the first, I think, the first great and complete film that I've seen in 2023 and certainly the best film that I've seen in Sundance so far. Um, and that's even in, including the likes of Eileen, which I did really enjoy, but mm. is a much messier affair. Um, uh, Past Lives, uh, I mean... What what really took me aback, I mean, I, I went to it uh, knowing that I was, wasn't even necessarily going to have to write about it. So it was a slightly luxurious um, experience for me to go and see it anyway. Um, I'm a big fan of Greta Lee specifically. Mm. And, I, and I was like, well, this sounds interesting. I, I understood the provenance, the Celine Song provenance, uh, that she's a, a playwright and that this was her first um, feature film. And so I wasn't, I, I mean, I went in with certain expectations, but I wasn't really expecting to be blown away by it. And what really, what really got me, I just, I think, is the warmth of the film and the level of perception, perceptiveness and insight that that occurred to me, like that happened to me personally. Mm. There were moments in this film where I got that hackly, like back of my hairs on the back of my neck feeling where I was like, hang on, was Celine Song going through my bins? Has she been opening my mail? Because there's, there, and there, I have very rarely so incredibly identified with a character mm. as I have with. <laughs> incredibly beautiful Lissom Greta Lee in this film. Um, she is uh, your but, spitting yeah, image. Yeah, she's the spitting image of me. But I mean, even though like we're, we are different in, in various aspects of our racial and, and social and cultural identities, at the same time, there was something completely universal um i felt in this thing because everybody every everyone i've talked to who has liked the film has has strangely found uh, similar sort of resonances in it but there were really moments of this where i felt like i felt almost like this sort of transcendental erasure of the of the space between me and the screen where like i was really living it through mm. her and it's this very uh, and it's a very beautiful story to live through somebody as well because it is about this very tentative um, uh, uh, lifelong, incredibly important connection that doesn't necessarily ever connect. Um, and I think like even within, but, but then even within that, the relationship that she then has with John Magaro, for example, there's a there's a scene of the two of them having a discussion in, in bed. And that's one of the ones where I, like there are parts of that, um, of their discussion of the, the the dynamic of their relationship, mm. which I swear to God, I, I've actually had you know word perfect that that conversation. Um, so just and and even 
uh, aside and again aside from lots of other things I've just recently come from New York um, one of my, my, my favorite city in the world and I think it's a great New York film as well it's a New York pro provides this fantastic backdrop for it um, and there's a shot of Greta Lee um, uh, just in the back of a taxi looking well, when she's crossing the bridge and going towards Manhattan and she has just this look of absolute love and awe and I know that's the exact expression I wear every time I go to New York so I mean there's there's these, these sort of really small things but then also really big thing, big ways in which it really resounded for me and that final scene I mean the way that it, it pans out that final scene in the bar I mean I could have I could have lived there forever I, I think mm. it's I think it's perfect <laughs> I will hold comment. <laughs> I will let Justin speak. <laughs> I can't improve or add much uh, to that, but um, it's it's interesting what Jessica says about this sort of erasure of the screen, and that is accomplished by Celine Song often keeping the camera at a distance. I mean, there are times when she brings it in and in the bar scene and in the, but even in some of the bedroom scenes, she's kind of, she's keeping the camera. There's a whole conversation that plays out as they're going to, you know, kind of, they're going to see the Statue of Liberty on the ferry and, and the, the conversation just cut, the camera's panning along with them as they're in line and doesn't cut away. And I think about that distance, the use of dis visual distance in the movie. Mm. And I sometimes, it is not an ex... <laughs> I sometimes think about this rightly or wrongly as like a particularly Asian characteristic or a characteristic of Asian filmmaking. It is obviously not uh, exclusive to that. There are a lot of a lot of directors from mm. lots of different countries know how to use distance. But I often I, there's just something about it that that is another cultural aspect of the film that I just kind of grooved with immediately. Just like okay, there are times just the visual judgment and the times when it's just like oh, it's not telling you who to place your identification with. You you figure that out yourself. But allowing conversations to play out in what feels like close to real time, and and the tentativeness you describe. I mean, this is a movie about uh, just it's just, it's just the, the title even gets it. It's it's, it's about almost. It's it's about hypotheticals. It's about things that did not come to pass, and the tragedy, but also the beauty of that. And I think that just and in a in a in a in a festival that is crowded with really you know really arresting and in-your-face portraits of heterosexual romance, especially, I mean, we won't talk about fair play here, but that's mm -hmm. obviously one of the attention grabbers of the festival. I don't know. I see, I really, <laughs> I don't place great stock in relatability. If it's saying, I, I don't embrace the movie just because I find it relatable, but I do find something relatable about this in terms of just the reserve that the characters even show. You know, this is not a, char a movie where the characters who maybe, maybe were soulmates, maybe are, maybe, maybe are not, where they are going to jump in a bit. I don't know that some people might find that chastity, that restraint kind mm. of frustrating. I, I absolutely love it. There is, um, I, I, I just, uh, and I have to say to while where Jessica was kind of really responding to Greta Lee's performance and that character of, of Na Young, uh, who becomes named uh, Nora in the film. Mm. And when she, when she immigrates to, to, to uh, the U S um, to Canada, right? First oh, to Canada first. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, yes, or, yeah. Toronto and then, and then finds her way to New York. Thank you. Uh, and I was, it's funny, uh, Hai Sun, his character is played by Tao Yu, who's this wonderful Korean actor that I've kind of had my eye on for a mm. while because he was really great in this in this just okay movie called Soul Searching that I think played at Sundance years ago. It was kind of a messy um, kind of summer youth comedy, and he was but he was a real standout. He was in um, that movie Leto, the Carol Carol. Sibrenikov movie that played a can years oh, ago. Oh, right, right, right. You know, and he, oh, um, really? Yeah, and he's God. got, and he kind of said this at the Q&A, you know, he is, a, you know, of Korean descent, of course, but he's, you know, raised in Europe and, and abroad, uh, which gives him an actually an interesting, a very different story mm. from his characters, but I just loved him in this. I mean, this felt like a star performance to me, and yet the kind of star performance that is like, 
pure, just quiet reserve magnetism, mm. magnetism, this melancholy that just wells up in his, in his eyes. Um, the, the mm. bar scene is so great and he just holds and carries so much in that. And, and I, I'm saying way too much about the movie, but I also have to say it's interesting. This, this was, and I'm curious what you think of this. It's very funny. The John McGarrow performance mm. too is really good. And John mm. McGarrow, who's in, you know, like first cow and, and in, um, and the, the other Kelly Reichardt movie showing up, um, that he was in. And I, I love him. He's a wonderful actor and his character is, I think, very skillfully deployed yeah. in the movie, but it's interesting how the movie, you know, because there's this very comic situation. This is sort of quasi-romantic triangle. And so how, and I noticed that whenever he would say something, because he's, people, people were laughing. would laugh. Yeah, and I know. I kind of liked it, but I, I kind of got annoyed at yeah, it, actually, a little bit. Yeah. Actually, I, Abby I mentioned that yesterday, yeah. that yeah. This, that same thing, that yeah. she didn't know he's people not were laughing at the movie or he's with, the, with yeah. those lines. He is, he is yeah. not a ridiculous character. He's not a ridiculous character. And I, he's actually a beautiful character. He's I mean, they're all beautiful character. characters. And, and maybe the movie, and yeah. I, I have to add, I fault the audience, not the movie mm. for this. I mean, I do find, for me... I was annoyed because sometimes I think that the, let's face it, predominantly white audience that comes to Sundance, it's just interesting where you see where people place their identification. Mm. And I know that, you know, and, and yes, there is maybe some degree on some very subterranean level on which John Magaro's character is, is being used in a comic relief kind of fashion. And he is sort of this, there's a kind of deadpan quality to him and he kind of understands his, that this is a funny situation. Mm. And there, there's this, there's this tension, this emotional tension throughout, but I found the laughter just a little revealing and it's almost like, oh, this is the guy that we're comfortable with. I mean, are you the sublimation of my parents' immigrant dreams? Wasn't that one of the, yeah, I mean, that that, that exchange is just is just funny. Yeah, uh, well, is, yeah. I don't want to say too much here because I did say my piece yesterday and I, I wanted mm. this to be the pro side of the okay. past lives wars. But one question that came up yesterday that I'm interested in, you know, what you guys have to say of it is that I thought that Sung, that character, just felt very underwritten compared to uh, Nora, which, of course, she's the protagonist. But sometimes I felt like he was a vessel, like a, a kind of a vessel for her to work out her relationship with her culture and immigration. And so when you're bringing up this dynamic with the audience and the John McGarrett character, I also do... I did perceive a kind of screen light, uh, screenwriting failure in there of mm. making him a kind of archetype whose flatness to me stood out in contrast with the Nora and even the John McGarrow character, who also I think, I mean, he's a small character. He's not very fleshed out. But there was just something about Sung that felt like a slate to me. You know, it's, that's an, it's interesting. I mean, I do think that ultimately it is not a perfectly balanced triangle this is her story mm. i think if it is more yeah. anyone's story than anyone else's it's it's clearly nora's story yeah. and and this is sort of seen where it's always kind of starting with her and the, it's, she's the one who sets the events in motion well, because she's her family is is the one that immigrates and so um but that's interesting because there is this there is this interesting scene in the movie where she is sort of talking about talking to her husband about this guy saying oh and she says oh he's so korean and it's 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 an interesting observation because and it's it's funny. I also thought about this in a way as like I don't know. There were points because there are scenes where they're they're drinking and they're eating. I almost thought like, oh, is this kind of a, a sort of subversion of a Hong Sang Soo movie? And in a way, a more a more uh, a more forgiving, a more generous version of that because you know the 
the, the view of the Korean males advanced in a Hong Sang Soo movie is not a flattering one no, at all. Yeah. This one is more flattering, even though, because when I hear, oh, he's very Korean, I could think of that in a lot of ways. I'm not Korean myself, but you know, I, you know, I, but have some familiarity with it. It's like the the stereotype is that they're very controlling and that they're very, you know, and that they're, you know, it's it's I don't know in a weird way. I don't know, but it's it's High Sun is very, you know, yes, because he is not the most express. It's like the character is not expressive, mm. but the actor is. I don't know right. if there's a way mm. to kind of uh, square that circle a little bit, but I don't. Um, also, I find it interesting that he is um, a character who is simply not interested in the U.S. of A. I mean, he, the, early on, he, when he, he's making the choice that he's going to go and learn Chinese, he's going to then, you know, mm. work as an engineer in China. The, 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 his, so his, his um, you know, emigration plans, if there are such things, are, are towards, are, are towards the, the east of the world. And yeah. whereas hers, she, she is obviously in the west. So, so I, I think the fact that he's just simply not part of that culture and it's not a culture that holds any appeal for him is also quite surprising to us we would always be I mean I think in general I mean as I was saying myself like we're always like but why wouldn't you want to go to New York of course you're going to want to go to New York right. it's like the great city um and just the fact that he's not interested in that I think all is a is a is an interesting thing in itself and I do believe I mean uh, and this is to go back to what you were saying earlier on a little bit about distance as well and but also about the centralization of Nora's character I think this film for me has one of the greatest openings of a film um and it is in that bar and I think this is also when we are absolutely cued to understand that this is Nora's story. So the opening of the film, I don't know if it was described yesterday, mm -hmm. but it is, it's, a, it's from a later scene when they're all, the three of them are sitting at a bar in New York and it's the night before his son is going to leave. Um, and uh, we're hearing, we hear in voiceover, we hear the disembodied voices of two people doing that thing which uh, we've seen in a lot in mm -hmm. romantic comedies where they are uh, surmising what, what the relationship is between these three people. And I think it's such an interesting way to start a film because mainly because when I have seen that done before in, mm. in many a romantic comedy, it's actually about the speakers. It's always about this, like, oh, the this, this speakers are this kind of people who have this kind of relationship where they're going to be looking at other people and, and wondering what they are, making up stories about them. So firstly, it's a shift in perspective like that. Secondly, then it gives us this, this way in to what this story is going to be about and what is the relationship between these three people. And the two, the two speakers, the two unseen speakers, really can't work it out. They, they can't mm. work out who's with who. Um, why is she not talking to him? And if, like, if they're obviously both of the same ethnicity and this guy isn't so so they're they're surmising all of these things and at the very end of the sequence which happens before the the title comes up so it's sort of kind of the little mm. prologue um it, there's this moment where where Greta Lee who is sitting between the two men um turns and and she it's like she catches their eyes it's like she catches them in the act but she looks straight down yes, the camera yes. and at that moment I think we are absolutely cued to understand that this is her story and this is her story specifically in relation to these two men and maybe there is a certain degree to which they become archetypal in that on that level but I think if that's true then it it, it only enriches and and deepens the character portrait of her mm -hmm. well I guess my issue with it was in something I said yesterday is that it felt at its core like a rehashing of diaspora film tropes about belonging and non-belonging and being stuck between two worlds. And a problem I often have with those kinds of movies is that they are very much stuck within the world and the mindset of the immigrant. Sure. And so yeah. the culture often that where they're from does become like typified, you know, it, like instead of that becoming an actual real world that is like 
it becomes like just a projection of their personal conflict between two different places as opposed to representing an entire different world that doesn't have anything to do with this particular like it it exists outside of the relation this kind of dialectical relation to uh, the immigrants like current home and i think you're sort of getting at that as well with like Haisung representing someone who doesn't want to come to America and so there is that like pull in the film but i think that's one of my reservations with it that it feels th- that's why i kind of was like dissatisfied I mean, with Haisung's portrayal because it seemed like another one of those films that's just about this the immigrants conflict that doesn't take into account that like he is sure. a character with his own understandings of her of America of his own dreams and which i would have liked to see a little more and maybe have that bristle against her vision of the world a little more or maybe challenge her vision of the world a little more than it does i can kind of see that but i i think for me it's i i mean i don't know i think that's it, i don't know if i have a better response than just like i guess it's just a different movie uh, i yeah. don't know and it's and yeah. it is one that is maybe more balanced and more perhaps yeah maybe a little more culturally curious about yeah, maybe more about South looking. Korea mm-hmm. I just, but I don't but for me I have to say it's really interesting and I sometimes wonder it, it is I, I keep returning to this idea of where we place our identification mm-hmm. which is not something I think about with every movie but it's just so interesting to me that Jessica is so taken with with um, Greta Lee's character who is the protagonist in the movie and if I'm honest though she is she's wonderful but I was and I, and I don't want to think this just cutting along you know gender lines but I was really interested and just kind of hanging on his every word and his every action. So I, even though I felt the same way, so, and so maybe you felt that he was given some kind of short even trip. though I don't I, th- like. It's not like my life circumstances map out exactly no, with either of them, but there's there was something <laughs> where I felt more aligned with him, and maybe that that is also reflected my desire of wanting more you, more him. of him. Yeah. You should you should really become the star of your own movie. <laughs> <laughs> Next thing I know, pull out a gun. <laughs> I mean, I'll just say it's funny. I think that it's like, I mean, would I have liked to learn more? And maybe so. And I mean, mm-hmm. let's face it too. I mean, he, by his own admission, by everyone's like, seems to lead a kind of an ordinary life, mm-hmm. whereas she is this, you know, she's a successful or accomplished playwright, a writer. Mm-hmm. And so it's like she is maybe, you know, maybe her, I don't know. I mean, you look at their lives and maybe hers seems the more glamorous, the more one deserving of, of this kind of centrality. But. I don't know. I didn't feel that his character was underserved by the movie. I just didn't. I, and that's partly because of the writing. It's partly because mm-hmm. of uh, Tao Yu's performance. And it's partly because I think I recognize in that it's weird. In Maybe I recognize something in myself, even though I am not a mm-hmm. Korean born and raised man. I, but I, I see something of that recessiveness even. I don't know. This kind of ma- Asian masculine recessiveness. I don't know. I Maybe I'm projecting like crazy. I probably am. But the movie does kind of invite that. Um I, I found his, um, even his inarticulateness kind of, you know, really, really eloquent and really moving to what Jessica was saying, too, about that great opener. I just have to say, the movie kind of grabbed me from that moment, too, mm. because I have been in that situation so often myself. <laughs> yeah. You know, when I'm out with my sister, mm. I know that my sister and I talk about this all the time. Yeah. It's like, um, I hope she forgives me for mentioning this briefly. I don't think she'd mind. But this, this you know, because we are both Chinese-American and, and we're often out with, with my wife, who is not. Mm. And I sort of, you know, I, I'm not, so narcissistic I'm thinking what is everyone thinking about us but sometimes you look around you see you know your people watching you think people people watching us and having been you know I've traveled with um, 
an Asian friend of mine who is I'm not related to, but who's just a friend who is married to a white woman, and people assume that we're brothers and that she has nothing to do with us. So the kind of the soft racism of that and just these assumptions, mm-hmm. I, I did kind of love, and that's not even what the movie is really about. Right. But it kind of it's this little perfect seed that the movie plants yeah. at the beginning. And I was wondering, like, are we going to come back and meet the people who are? <laughs> who are making who are kind of doing the people watching thing and i'm so glad that we don't and that they're just kind of there just to set the scene at the beginning and then they're completely insignificant to me again having already confessed that i relate so much to this this is just going to make me sound like an egotistical monster but i do really love i you see one of the things i think you're saying about the like lack of development in in either of the male characters I, i i i love the fact that that there is an a, like an actual acknowledgement that she is the most important person in both of their li- in in for, for both of these guys, um, and I, I mean I think it's a fairly rare thing to see it like you know to see a, a narrative skewed like that so much in her favor, um, and like there's that wonderful moment when they're in bed together where the, John Magaro says something like. I'm not sure I make I'm not sure I make your life bigger because mm. you make my life bigger. Um and and obviously that's the same for 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 Haisun because he is, he he literally travels to a place he wasn't going to go to otherwise. So, you know, just the the idea that that this woman can actually be a person who is transformative for the men in her life. I and think you've is, been that person. Exactly. I, I am. <laughs> I am. I mean, I'm transforming all of you. I believe it, Jessica. Time. I no, mean, I'm not okay, even see, being sarcastic. I knew, I knew the wheels were going to come off that. that, um, that. But, I, but I do, it's, it's yeah. one of the things that I loved, that I loved about it actually is its imbalance, mm-hmm. is the fact that it's, it's to me, very much weighted towards her. The well, one bad thing I'd say about this, oh, sorry. Yes. No, one no, bad no, thing no. I'll say you, about you this You want to say some bad things? Go ahead. Take more time. Past lives terrible uncle boon me prequel just not not <laughs> oh at all successful God, on that level again. i'm like <laughs> that question like to see uncle boon me f- who can recall his past lives? Do you have to see past lives? Yeah. Oh my God. You can cut this. Uh, no, that you one actually, is you actually, Yeah, but I think you should have left it before you explained it. Yeah. <laughs> Just leave it with the Uncle now, Boomy. Now you will, you will be responsible for this, okay? <laughs> well, uh, we don't have a lot of time because um, I... Because we rattled on. Uh, no, but it was totally worth it. Uh, but I did want to give Justin the chance to talk about a movie that... I th- did make someone go, I think this person has been through my bins. And that's Cat Person. So. Oh, God, even just setting up this up. And I you, can, say, you can keep it brief because oh, both Jessica know. and I haven't seen I it. I have not seen it yet. Yeah. Uh, but just to say, t- uh, I'm sure curious listeners, yeah. hungry for the film adaptation of the infamous New Yorker story. Yes. And it's. Um, Slate or the cut yes. response? The, the cut, the, I think. The, the uh, slate, the cut. Yes, um, whereby the yeah. by the writer whose whose relationship she found out was the basis for the characters of Margot and and, yeah. and Robert. Jessica, um, are you sure you don't know anyone on the past lives crew, right? I sorry, what? Are you sure you don't know anyone on the past lives crew, right? I don't. I'm just making sure you haven't been cat personed. Oh, okay. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> exactly right. Yeah, no. I have to like so ex- is cat person to the new catfished. <laughs> I totally thought about catfish too. Another doc that premiered here, and just this kind of this this whole you know this this very they're, they're they feel like part and parcel of very much the same thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, and I have to say too that I, I very much remembered when the cat person uh you know became when the story became yeah. 
the endlessly divisive and commented upon sensation that it became. Du I didn't jour, yeah. I didn't read the story at the time. I kind of caught up with it fairly recently, actually. And um, I did and read it at the time. I did read time. it at the time because I read a lot of short stories. But honestly, my whole thing <laughs> at that time was just like, wow, if you think this is amazing, have you ever read any of the <laughs> all of the other short stories? I mean, right. I don't know. Well, in, uh, do I need to set up? I mean, the, the short story, the, the short story on short stories, you know, it was widely interpreted as like, is this, you know, people who embraced it thought it was a very, you know, incisive view from a woman's perspective of the foibles, the pitfalls of modern dating and, and you know, obvious, you know, the ambiguity of consent and this story came out like right, like two months into into the into Me Too. Justin is suppressing and the urge to just say yada, yada, yada right now. <laughs> no, I'm not. I'm actually just trying to make sure I hit everyone because I feel like every, I'm not. I'm like trying to hit my bullet points. It's, it's like I'm, I'm going to spend an hour talking about the setup before I even get to the fucking movie, which is not good at all. And why don't we just cut to the movie, okay? okay. Because whenever you think a short story cut and I actually, to. you know, I, I did like the short story, although I appreciate that I, I don't think it's the greatest thing ever, yeah, but sure. there's something Fine. about its elegance and concision that I think made it such ripe interpretive fodder and oh, and fire people's imaginations and gave them this insight. Whereas the movie, I mm. think, is really... It's not that it doesn't have any of the insight or any of the, the interesting edges of the short story. It, it does have them. But because it has been just opened up to a degree that I find just completely... Inflated. I inflated. Mm. It's two hours. It's almost two hours or something. It It thuds. It does something that we saw in Eileen and in a lot of other movies like Magazine Dreams especially where a character is having a violent fantasy or hallucination of like, you know, and but Eileen does this so deftly. Mm -hmm. and it's just these little inserts that are just like, just cut you like a bit and it's done. And it's very, very impactful. Here it's just like, it just becomes this, this really unimaginative filmmaking device to like say like to like what is the character thinking what might happen mm. she has some complicated thoughts about it. it's just I'm, it's just like and there are just there are thoughts the, the, the infamous sex scene which I do think you know in the short story is you know whatever you think of it you know is is kind of riveting to read and in the movie the director Susanna Fogel does this thing where and the actors Amelia Jones and Nicholas Braun from Succession, who I think are actually pretty well cast. Not not necessarily who you would expect if you read the short uh -huh. story, but they're, I th I, the actors are not the problem with the movie at all. But the way she has Amelia Jones' character like play this double version, like commenting on what's being done to her in this you know really epically awful sex scene, I just Ooh. it just kind of lost me. It's like this I don't know. It felt like this really clunky device that is trying to achieve some level of you know interiority or commentary, but it just. I, I thought it just felt completely flat. Because the whole point of the story is that it's hard to explain. It's hard yes. to like pinpoint. <clears throat> it's, what, it's what pinpoint she's experiencing. and uh, pinpoint what's experiencing uh, assigning blame. You right. know, and 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 the movie does do. You know, it's like it, it kind of does this back and forth. Like, oh, is he a is he a serial killer? Is he not? Whatever it does. It oh yeah. The the worst thing about it is that it basically has been reconceived as a horror movie, and thereby extending the unfortunate Sundance trope of. What if this but horror? You know, oh, it's like no. what, you know, it's like what if cat person but horror? And why does this movie need to be a horror movie? And I honestly think like, oh, is it just because horror is one of the few commercial you know mm. propositions that is actually viable nowadays? And so let's make this. And yes, I understand it's like it's about the horror of dating and the but horror also because elevated but, horror is kind of a fad. I'm I'm using that term in sure. scare quotes, so maybe that's. I mean. That's, I haven't seen the movie. This is just my. No, no, no. You're not wrong. I'm it's commenting just, on Justin's to me, description. I, th I yeah. think that they are trying to literalize this idea that yes, dating is scary, and this is and this, and he could be a total creep. But they take every. I mean, that everything that was you know, the, the, and the short story, which ended on this note that is really you know disquieting and 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 maybe infuri and infuriating. Not maybe it is, but it's like. 
but it ended there. Mm. And the movie basically just becomes a really shitty horror genre movie in the final stretch that I think is just completely unnecessary. And Wait, um, does it um, feature the the person who wrote like the response article, the person who yes, figured the, who out? Figured, like, I, does it feature like? I don't think it. As in, did the, is, does the movie acknowledge the writing of the story, I guess, is my question, or is it entirely in the world of the it's story? It's entirely in the world of that, and I was wondering about that, too. Uh, Unless I missed something, uh-huh. I don't think it actually gets into that aspect of it. Because that the, was, like, the more that is the more interesting thing of and the how, whole, And yeah, the, the auto-fictional the kind of implications of it, and that is not touched on at all. Mm. They really do just kind of take it as a, like, you know, dating horror story. That is kind mm. of the premise, and it never really goes... Beyond that, I will say of all, there are a lot of unnecessary additions to the movie, including the fact that like the 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 Robert, the male lead character, has this Harrison Ford obsession. Um, it's lots of Harrison Ford references to like Empire Strikes Back and Return of the Jedi. The one addition that I really liked <laughs> is Isabella Rossellini, who is never unwelcome, plays this um, professor of the of Emily Jones's character, and she's there basically just to deliver this monologue about the mating rituals of insects, and she keeps this ant colony, which um, I won't spoil what happens. What happens to the ant colony is actually kind of interesting, but um, and I would just say like I just wanted to follow Isabella Rossellini out of this movie and into a movie called Ant ant person <laughs> which I think would have been a much more rewarding use oh of our time God. I'm really jealous now I wish I got to talk about a film that I don't like it's, it's, it's nice it's, you're clearing do the pipes do you bites. have a, anything you want to fire I mean, off I, I really get didn't, off your chest? I really didn't like the Doug Lyman Brett Kavanaugh documentary oh, t- <laughs> actually though Jessica we talked about it but I haven't seen it but the guests were mostly positive so if you want to give a were little they? do your thing how were they positive about this movie what? Who were these people? Listen to episode um, two of this film okay. common podcast at Sundance. <laughs> I don't listen to podcasts. I'm just on them. <laughs> um, uh, I just uh, so well uh, for for the, the the background story behind it. Obviously, was that it was a very late edition. Um, we had actually been told that there was going to be a late edition, but we weren't told what it was. Um, and what? But the only word that kept on being thrown around was that it's incendiary. Incendiary. So there, I mean, to a certain degree, the film suffers from from inflated expectations because certainly you expect then, and even like a Hollywood director known for his you know uh, action oriented uh, Hollywood dramas doing his first documentary. Again, even with that, you you kind of expect that there's going to be some kind of smoking gun, some kind of bombshell contained in this thing, and there not only is there not. Um, almost as though to, to, to make up for that absence. There's a lot of spinning wheels. There's a lot of relitigating um, things that I do not feel that we need to relitigate. And there's also just a, a, like a, an hour and a half long excuse to make me have to look at Brett Kavanaugh's face again. And I really would rather not have this to do that. This is why I avoided the movie, if there were, to if be there honest. Was, if there's any way to avoid that, yeah. and if there's, if, there's, if, there's, if there's not going to give me any new news, which it really doesn't, or, you know, any new sort of, potentially actionable um, information, all I can really say for it is that it does rearrange um, uh, the, the narrative of what is, you know, to me anyway, extremely fresh, extremely still indelible in the hippocampus um, uh, uh, in a kind of a sort of a, a bite-sized way. But again, like, and also just like, who is this for? This 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 film is never going to be watched by the people whose minds it might want to mm. seek to change. Um, no, it's it's entirely just uh, you know built for the already converted. Um, so I just found it completely it's empty. It's built for the incendiary slot at the Sundance Film Festival. Yeah, 
Yeah, it, and it's I mean, all it does is reignite old old outrage, and I and the the old outrage it just had I had that feeling of just that that same kind of swilling around uselessness that that kind of bile swilling around me all over again that helpless useless feeling. Um, I really disliked it. I mean, I probably. I probably have disliked it more in the days since. Um, just, I, I just resent having to had, you know, having to spend time yeah. watching it and then spend time writing about it. Yeah. Um, kind of nothing. Well, on that note, yeah. <laughs> on the note of Good. bile yeah. swilling <laughs> in you. <laughs> um, but thank you both so much. This was, you know, as expected, excellent. Mm. Thank you for taking time out of your busy schedules. We are, I think, at the half halfway point of the festival in 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 terms of you know the the first Don't say that. the <laughs> first week of the festival. Like mm -hmm. you said, the premieres kind of stop mm. on Wednesday, so we have like three more days of premieres. So I hope there's less like bile swilling <laughs> and more. Oh my God, this this is my story on the screen because that was really lovely to hear. Actually, you know, I I have to say that people. I mean, there are legitimate critiques about you know representation the inflated value of all of that but it is so lovely to hear when someone feels like oh my god like i saw that's me on I, that's actually a very special feeling when that happens i just and wanted to very say rare. that like and it's rare and i mean it's rare yeah we it's, talk, it's it is very rare and I, I don't even want to overstate it in the case of past lives which i like yeah. for other reasons as well but it's it's funny because feeling seen. I think I've said this. Oh, yeah. I, I hate it's the term. It's a horrible I term. Too. I hate saying yeah. I feel yeah. seen. I never feel seen, and I don't need to feel seen to love no. a movie or think it's great. It's <laughs> yeah. just like, and I, I think that I don't think I don't think people actually feel seen that often at all. And it goes across yeah. cuts across genders, cultures, what have you. But it's I want to feel smelt. <laughs> I want to I want to feel heard. I like my. <laughs> Heard How about touched? Touched. Yes. Tasted. Mm, Justin. <laughs> Come on, there are only five senses. Somebody had to say it. <laughs> but no, so it's like all which is to say, yeah, it's I, I often I am very skeptical of discourse that is super emphasis on like yeah. you know uh, that representation is its is a virtue for its own sake. But when you actually do encounter that something that brushes up against your experience it's rare and it is yeah. worth calling out you know um yeah i mean i i i don't know if you guys saw polite society i you did, okay we already yeah. talked about it on a podcast yeah. i don't have that much to say about it it's definitely not a movie that i found relatable to my life in <laughs> any way but there is a, a dance sequence at the end which i think is actually kind of underutilized yeah. that is in a recreation of like my favorite song and dance sequence in any Bollywood movie ever. It's like this iconic sequence from the movie Devdas, the 2002 movie. And even that moment, I mean, it wasn't really a feeling scene, but I was like, this scene is for me. Yeah. There are like 20 yeah. people at Sundance, you know, for whom this yeah. scene is like made for. And like, those moments are, are special, whatever yeah. you, you may say of. Yeah, representation. Well, on that note, okay. I, I brought that it up. Nice. I brought something nice and sweet. Thank you both and have a good night. And I'll see you around the festival again soon. Thanks, Thank David. Thank you so much. The Film Comment podcast features original music by Greg Einge. Film Comment is a publication of Film at Lincoln Center. Since 1962, Film Comment has been the home of independent film journalism, 
publishing in-depth interviews, critical analysis, and feature coverage of mainstream art house and avant-garde filmmaking from around the world. Visit us online at filmcomment.com.